My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Good afternoon, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about caregiving for your partner. And I have Scott Hood and Dan Crail with me. Thank you both for joining us. What I want to do to start with is just have each of you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and of course, one fun fact. And Scott, why don't we start with you? Only one fun fact, huh? Well, you can give me two. Um, so, bonus. <laughs> so I'm Scott Hood, uh, my wife, Vanessa. Um, we live in Wisconsin. Uh, we're just outside Milwaukee. Um, been up here for the last what, no, 10 plus years, or right around 10 years. Um, and a fun fact, uh, so I was a golf professional um, in my past career. Um, another one note that, that's more along these lines is I, I did actually get the opportunity to donate my own bone marrow to somebody else. I was a donor. So that was fun. I did not know that. Wow. Very cool. Cool. Dan, how about you? So, yeah, my name is Dan Crail. This is a caregiver to my wife, Liz, of 20 years now. Uh, she was a uh, colon cancer. Um, she was a colon cancer patient. Colon cancer patient. It's easy to say. 11 years ago. Uh, one fun fact uh, is that I rarely wear pants. Uh, <laughs> which uh, We just stopped there. People wonder, well, then, what do know. you it's wear? <laughs> uh, these are my nickname, which is kilts. Uh, I've been wearing kilts for a little over 10 years now. And uh, I re- highly recommend to everybody. For the comfort, ease. Yeah, uh, yeah comfort. All yeah. of you. Have. All right. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, today we're talking about caregiving for your partner. So Scott, your partner, Vanessa, and yes. Dan, your partner, Liz. And were both of you married at the time? When your wives were diagnosed. Yes. Dan or yeah, Dan, how long had you guys been married? So uh, we had been married for uh, I guess 13 years. At uh, the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Scott. Uh, two just over two years. Okay. So tell me about the diagnosis. I can imagine it's shocking no matter how long you have been married. So tell me about the diagnosis what what their treatment plan was, kind of what that looked like, um, as well as your initial thoughts. And I'm going to let either of you jump in uh, from now on. So just kind of go ahead. Go ahead, Dan, if you want to hop in. Oh, sure. So uh, we had, well, I say we, uh, my wife had uh, just had our, our youngest son six weeks uh, before her diagnosis. She went in for a six week follow-up and they, you know, 
were doing all the normal routine tests and she was anemic uh, and enough so that the um, her her doctor said, hey, you have to you have to go get a blood transfusion today and uh, you can't go home. You just go straight to transfusion center or and of course, her appointment was at like 445 on a Friday. So <laughs> nothing was open. So it was like, go to a, go to an emergency room, get a blood transfusion. So, of course, her being a nurse and knowing better than everyone, she oh. came home, got packed a bag and told us what was going on. And um, uh, her parents happened to be in town helping out with the kids. And so I was able to drive her to the hospital. We started there uh, like five days later after a whole bunch of tests and everything else. Uh, they they uh, went in, did a uh, colonoscopy, found the tumor and took her into surgery. They didn't tell us that they knew it was the results of the uh, biopsy until we were in the um, surgery prep. And oh. so there was, and of course it was the surgeon that came in and told us with all the compassion of, uh, R2D2, uh, <laughs> it was literally walking in and he was in full surgical garb and just said, Oh yeah. So we're going to go in. We'll, we'll, uh, Oh yeah, it's cancer. So we're going to remove it and, uh, we'll be done in a couple of hours. So I'll come out and visit. I'll go give you updates in the waiting room. Uh, do you guys have any questions? Yeah. Yeah. He's I, again, excellent surgeon, but yep. personality of a cardboard no bed, box. Yeah. Just, I was yeah. Saying no bedside manner. No. So that was how you found out she had cancer is when yeah. he in passing said, Yes. Yeah. And literally 30 seconds later, he, because I was stunned, I, I was literally more focused on his shoes. I remember he was wearing New Balance white tennis shoes, which I was like, God, what, that's weird, weird <laughs> choice. Uh, but yeah, and it's just, you know, you're, you're just in shock and not responding to anything uh, outside of your head. So by the time I was, had, had the, the frame of mind to form words, he was gone. The nurse was coming in to, you know, give her, her out. give yeah. Liz the happy drugs. And she, she was like, Oh, good. I have cancer. Thanks for the drugs and out the wow. door. Um, and my father-in-law was in the waiting in the prep room with us. And I have no idea how or where he went. He, I kissed Liz goodbye and was t trying to form words. And I looked around and she was, you know, they pushed her through the doors. I looked around, couldn't, my father-in-law was gone. I don't know where he went, but he disappeared. And I was alone in this, you know, in the surgical prep area <sighs> and really didn't know how to get out of it. I was kind of lost for a minute, you know, and plus I'm starting to tear up and really getting emotional. And luckily a very compassionate nurse happened to be walking by and wow. looked at me and she started asking a question and then she just came over and gave me a hug. And I was Aww. like, okay, she knows what to do. She knows yeah. how to handle this mess of a person that's standing here. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, just everything at once. Um, and Liz being a nurse, she had kind of read the tea leaves, uh, leading up to this moment. So she had in her head, you know, I think this is cancer and, you know, oh, and everything. And yeah. And she wouldn't admit it to me. Um, she was, you know, still the protective nurse yeah. that she is. And I, I, I'm very kind of analytical in, in, in my thinking. So I was still playing the odds in my head of, 
you know, she's 34. She's healthy. Mm-hmm. She's, she's no, no known, you know, familiar mm-hmm. family, family history of anything. So there's no way it's, you know, it's no way it's anything that serious. And so there was just an immediate dissolution of wow. every, everything I thought that we were yeah. dealing with and going to be living with for the immediate and long-term future. So, yeah. So when she came out of surgery, is that when they officially staged it and then yeah, set out the treatment plan and all of that? So what did treatment look like for her? So, yeah, they, um, you know, after the surgery that it was touching her liver. So they took mm. part of her liver. Uh, it was a small part and it wasn't, uh, it hadn't intruded into the liver itself. Um, and so they staged it as to see, mm-hmm. um, and they, and they just kind of lined out, you know, we've removed the tumor and here's your, here's your appointments with, uh, radiology and, uh, and, uh, at the chemo center. So it was, wow. um, you know, six weeks of chemo and radiation. And that's, uh, just another part of the radiation just occurred to me when they did the, when they gave her the uh, first doses, uh, they didn't tell her that, you know, once she had that, um, when she, when she had it on board, she couldn't be around children or pets and we have a one and a half year old and a <laughs> six week old at home. And so she's calling from there saying, um, I can't come home for oh my at least 24 hours. So good luck with the kids. <laughs> and then, wow. And, finding a hotel room and uh, just, you know, dealing with everything else. One of the things where they just don't really prepare you when you go in for these appointments um, beforehand. And one, not something you would think to ask, right? I would, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking it's going inside. What's that going to matter to, you know, will I be radioactive for the next 24 hours? (laughs) Is that something that's going to happen? Let's now add that to the list of questions you should ask when you find out you're having radiation. Um, So you've kind of, Said your initial shot thoughts, shock, yeah. fear, I would imagine. Anything else? Uh, just disbelief. And, yeah. you know, it, and having a six week old, six week old at home and one, you know, and, and a toddler just who high energy and just, you know, needy all the time, yeah. especially with bringing home a baby and just, you know, him still dealing with, I don't have mom all to myself anymore. Um, there was, there was no time to think it was, it it was pure survival mode. What's the next thing that has to be done? What's the next thing that has to be done? And plus I was still trying to work, which didn't work out very well. I mean, I took some vacation time, but you know, you know, that survival mode went for a year. So it was, you know, all through the treatments and all through, and the recovery went on for months and months. You yeah. know, it was, you know, her energy level still, even to this day is probably not to where it was beforehand. Yeah. Um, and so just dealing with the, you know, the digestive issues that came with having half your large intestine removed and radiation in the area and, and everything else. So, yeah, you know, it was, it, it really wasn't at least a year before either of us really started to truly process what, what we were going through and realizing what, you know, what it meant immediately yeah. and for the, uh, you know, kind of the rest of our lives. So, yeah, I can imagine. Wow. Scott, what was your experience yeah. with Vanessa? Yeah. So it's interesting that you guys were going through 
quite a bit in changes, you know, with having a brand new newborn and then this stuff happened. I mean, we, ours was similar in, in that we had, uh, we had just moved back to this area. Vanessa's originally from Wisconsin and we were living down in the St. Louis area. Um, and we made a decision that we wanted to move back from a, from job standpoint um, and just be closer to family, like our families from this area and things like that. So we had moved up um, and we're living in Kenosha at the time um, and looking at houses and going through this process of looking at all these different houses, um, mm-hmm. ended up buying a house um, and we're in the process of doing some renovations before we actually made the move up. It was about an hour from where we um, were staying at the time. And I remember I was going to going to work and Vanessa had called me. She hadn't been feeling well for a number of weeks. And she's just like, I, I just feel terrible. Like you need to take me into the ER. So we took her into the ER in Kenosha. And it just so happened that her, um, or our brother-in-law, his dad um, was the ER, the head of ER nurse there. Um, and his wife had actually uh, passed away recently from uh, leukemia. And so we brought her in and they ran a bunch of blood tests. And so when they ran the blood tests, I think he kind of recognized some, some markers. It just was, was, was odd, but um, you know, some of the, the markers from leukemia are similar to, you know, mono and just to any kind of white blood cell like infection. So mm-hmm. at the time, I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday that they admitted her um, and ran a bunch of tests and, one of the tests, they ran some cultures that that had to be sent out to California. Well, a couple of days went by and I, I still remember going and thinking, you know, as there, as all these tests are coming back negative, that, you know, it's just going to be some sort of run of the mill infection. She started to feel a little bit better. Um, you know, Friday comes and they say, well, we're going to discharge you. So she got discharged on Friday. We went home. Um, and then Saturday morning, we got a call from the doctor um, and the doctor said, hey, we need to see you back here now like immediately so within you know so basically within an hour we call their parents and her sister and they all came with us and that's when they basically said hey you know we uh based on the test results um you know it's acute uh leukemia um and we need to get you up to well i think they gave us a couple of different options but freighter was the the closest um immediately essentially tomorrow we're gonna admit you so um you know, from a, I, I will say one of the things, and Vanessa and I have talked about this a lot, the, the doctor that did diagnose her um, said, you know, this is, is going to be a marathon. Um, it's mm-hmm. not a sprint. Um, it's something that is a long-term thing. And But it's interesting, you, know, you leave that that uh, that meeting and back to dance point, it's like all these rush of emotions come to you. It's like, well, how did this happen? What's the expectancy? You start to do research. You know, you're trying to look at your phone, like, what does this mean? Yeah. What? You mm-hmm. know, but, but there's no... <laughs> because everybody's a little bit different. There's no set statistic. Right. Um, mm. But then, you know, I did, a, I had a friend that, you know, that uh, I'd gone to school with his, his um, girlfriend had passed away from acute uh, uh, leukemia. So now mm. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my wife. And we've been here with just over two years. You know, those are the first thoughts I go through. And it's like, what, what do we, what do we do next? So um, yeah, literally she, uh, she got, so that was a Saturday, Sunday, she got uh, admitted and, and was inpatient for over 30 days. I think it was uh, the first okay. start, uh, like it was full board uh-huh. ahead and not really much time to think about, you know, other <laughs> types of decisions and things like that. It's just one thing after another, like, hey, we're going to start you on chemo. Here's what the leukemia, we need to do some other tests. 
Um, a couple of days later, they, whatever it was from a testing standpoint, they, they determined it was Philadelphia positive, which is not a good thing in, in yeah. the leukemia world. And then you start looking at all the things from that. Thankfully, her doctor that we did have for a blood doctor, Frederick Batala, he was uh, outstanding, um, you know, did took the time to really sit down and kind of explain those things and, and, and very <laughs> personable, not so much R2D2 yeah. um, from that standpoint. <laughs> so like, and we still, to this day, I mean, that's still her doctor that, that she'll go see, and, that's cool. uh, you know, and, and get a pretty good relationship with him. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, uh, just a rush of emotions. And so we're, so she was impatient for 30 plus days. And, and I think I spent all but two nights up there with her. Like I'd sleep in the chair next to her just cause yeah. we didn't have kids at the time. We had three cats, didn't have a dog, <laughs> but we had three cats and cats could kind of take care of themselves a little bit. I didn't go home and feed them and stuff like that. But they were pretty self-sufficient at that time. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, uh, it really just hits you like a ton of bricks because, <laughs> you know, at the time what was, uh, so that was 2012 that she was diagnosed. So it would have been 28, no, not yeah, 28, 28, uh, um, I don't know my math. It's not that good. Yeah. My birthday was coming up because it was October that she was diagnosed, which was my birthday. Right. So she was in the, uh, yeah. In, inpatient for my birthday. So yeah, I was turned 28 and she's, you know, a couple of years younger. And it's like, you don't expect that stuff to no. happen. Right. Until it does nothing. Um, yep. you know, from that standpoint. So, and from, for her, the, the 30 days of inpatient wasn't the end. No, I mean, no. the doctor was right about it being a marathon, right? I mean, correct. Correct. So like, that's the initial treatment. So initial, um, you know, chemos that, the, that they did to, to try and get it under control best they could from that standpoint, it, it's a very aggressive treatment. And then also they put her on, um, the chemotherapy drug that, um, is designed to essentially the mutation of the gene or the chromosome, um, mutation it's supposed to help with that. Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, she's basically been on that forever, but the other treatment plan that, um, you know, acute, uh, leukemia at the time was a, a bone marrow transplant. Um, and so they told us, you know, initially like that's the goal is to get you to a point where we're going to do the bone marrow transplant. Um, and like I said, she was diagnosed in October. So she would go in. So we had this, there is, it wasn't, I don't even know what the date is, but crazy thing is we moved from Kenosha. Like, so, there, so during this time, thank God from father-in-law who, you know, helped, but, but we had people come and help basically moved yeah. us from Kenosha. She didn't go back to, Kenosha, to our, our house in Pewaukee, but she never got the opportunity to really move in. It was like, Hey, your stuff's here. And people have already moved it in all these different things. So now we are here. Then she got to go back in for, um, uh, a week and, and, and get the treatment. And then, um, um, we finally found, uh, it was right around just before Christmas time that, uh, that they had uh, a donor, um, lined up, uh, two different ones, a, a great match. And then also a backup. Um, and they scheduled that for the end of January is when she was going in for an induction phase. And then, um, the actual transplant was the first week of February. Um, and that's another 30 days of inpatient and all the stuff that comes with a bone marrow transplant yeah. and having to be, uh, um, it's interesting because all of the, the COVID stuff and and and, and then oh, the time yeah. frames around like, hey, uh, extending out, you know, from the time that she got, um, you know, released even past after the the um, uh, transplant, she's uh, she's very immunocompromised, you know, for the first yeah. hundred days essentially, and so all of the stuff that everybody in the world went through for a uh, period of time over the last couple of years, we we were very attuned to and akin to yeah. for the last, you know, ten years basically. Um, and she's, you know, since then uh, been on um, the same uh, uh, Spricel. Uh, since then, uh, and they've lowered her dosage a little bit, but some of the side effects that have come with that, um, 
you know, just immune, like it's harder for her to fight off anything. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I mean, having putting your body through that whole process of a bone marrow transplant and all mm-hmm. and all the chemo and stuff that she's done, you know, it just, it just doesn't, it makes things different for you. Um, yeah. You know, going forward, you know, and, and I think looking back and that was one of the things, you know, dance, like you think about treating it at the time, but it's like, initially, I don't know that I ever thought it was a, you know, 40, 50, 100, however long we're going to live, hopefully. Right. Um, yeah, it's truly a marathon. Correct, I mean, correct. Yep. I don't know that, you know, I fully grasp that initially, but mm-hmm. obviously, as you go along, it's like, yes, this is, you know, this is what it is um, mm-hmm. because you're so focused on, and I think this is why the doctors and stuff, they're f- so focused on beating said cancer. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is, we know, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a lifelong thing, no matter what, you know, from the, even mm-hmm. if it's beat, it's always in the, it's a mental thing and all the, all the side effects from the treatments and things like that. So, yeah, that's an interesting point. So Dan, I'm assuming Liz still goes for follow-up every so often, right? Uh, she- yeah. She's, you know, over 10 years at 10 year mark, they, uh, they kind of cut her off. Uh, the, her oncologist, he's like, you know what? I don't want to, and well, one, he moved uh, oh. farther away, which I mean, I was loved her oncologist. So, you know, I, I think if she was still having to do follow ups, we would just go to the Western Slope and, yeah, you know, stay overnight or whatever to go to to see that same oncologist. Mm-hmm. But um, he kind of said, you know, after 10 years, the chance of recurrence is at, you know, this certain level. And so we're pretty, you know, we're kind of past the follow-up phase even so but you know like you said it's it it doesn't go away you know it's it's always in the back of i know it's always in the back of her head it's always in the Mm -hmm. in the back of mine um you know and we talk about you know having kids you know and have and being pregnant you know they with while pregnant while this tumor was you know sitting there um i know every time our, our youngest has any sort of digestive issue. She, her mind immediately jumps to that despite all, mm-hmm. you know, all the rational thoughts that uh, try to get in the way. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, you know, and that's not something that uh, ever would have happened before, you know, before we went through all this. Oh um, yeah. We, so what have been the biggest challenges for you guys, both You've talked a little bit about at the time, Dan, the immediate having to watch the kids while also, you know, but what have been also the challenges going through treatment and even long-term? And I'm sure they've been emotional, physical. I mean, what are the challenges that have gone with being a caretaker? Yeah. The, I mean, it's, it's, it's just everything, you know, every, every aspect of life changes and, Mm -hmm. And it, and a lot of it is changing perspective, um, because you know we after her diagnosis and after getting through the initial treatments, we started started going to meetups and we started hosting meetups. Um, and one of the things that comes up repeatedly uh, in those meetings and 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 the, in the, in those settings is that you make you make connections with people so much faster than you would have before. You you know you you meet somebody you meet a stranger, um, and it takes a long time to really feel like you get close to them. And after her diagnosis, when we meet people that are survivors or caregivers, we realize that you've gone through you you know this person has gone through the same things you have, and they've faced these things that are uh, you know it's like you know sort of life and death sort of 
uh, situation. And so you immediately, you're, you kind of jumped past all the, all the get to know you steps and you jump straight to the, where you you know, you get, you have a, a deeper connection than, um, than friends that we've had for years that, that helped get through some of the challenges because, because we started, we start, because we started meeting other people, which, you know, in the, in the initial stages, we'd met, you know, we'd go to her treatments and it'd be her and a bunch of, you know, literally geriatric patients. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and, I, and I apologize, I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, uh, but that challenge of, of isolation is, it was one of the worst parts of it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, all the physical, um, physical discomforts that my wife was going through were obviously nothing easy, but, you know, especially for me, that, that isolation was, was really tough to even, to even realize that's what the problem was. Um, mm-hmm. And realizing that, you know, we just felt alone in in this diagnosis and trying to get through it, mm-hmm. um, that yeah. was probably the biggest part that that and again took the longest for us to realize. Yeah. It literally wasn't it wasn't for years that we realized that that was mm-hmm. that was the biggest part. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's still. I mean, even even still, there like that's that's I would I would. Concur with the the isolation feeling mm-hmm. from that standpoint of you know you go online and you search for resources. That's like I don't know. I did that. It's like I'm trying to uh, find, it and it's like nope. Or there's like somebody that was on there for like you know a, a, a couple different posts, and they're gone. It was like seven years ago, and you're like, yeah, good luck finding this person or whatever. Right. Um, you know, because it's like where where do you go to discuss these things? Unless it's, you know, and, and I know my, you know, initial reaction and, you know, I've had to even learn over the years with Vanessa is like, I, I try and hide that stuff from Vanessa, right? As much as I can mm-hmm. from the standpoint of, I don't want to put an extra burden on you, yep. um, you know, and so it's, it's, I, you know, do it myself, right? You know, driving to work or whatever, and just cry it out, you know, it's, it, it, and that's, you know, I, I've learned over the years that it's better to cry together and, and talk about those things and, and, and mm-hmm. but you know, I told her from day one, like it's, it's, we're in this thing together, but I think, you know, one of the, one of the hardest things, and this is just a social thing is, you know, pressures from all over, right. Friends and family that are like, you should be, or you shouldn't be doing certain things. Right. Because you mm-hmm. know, when it comes to, you know, the, 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 Hey, is this safe for some, you know, especially in an immunocompromised situation or the flip side, it's like, why aren't you guys, you know, doing this with us, those types of things. And it's social pressures that I know she's felt as well as I have mm. outside around, like they don't get it from that standpoint, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And you know, you can't really expect somebody to, it's like, but that's the hardest thing is just being okay. That, Hey, this is just how it is. You know, like yeah. we're going to, we're going to support each other as best we can. And, you know, on the, on the days that, she's weak. I'm going to be strong vice versa. That's where, you know, Hey, there's days that maybe she picks me up um, from that mm-hmm. standpoint, you know, as a team. So yeah, um, I would concur with, like I said, from an isolation standpoint, obviously the, the rest of the physical things, like not being able to, to do things to make it better. It's just, it's excruciating. Cause you're like, what can I do to make it better? Right. Like yeah. you know, I was asked like, what, yeah. what can I do to make these things better? And, and when the answer is like, just be here and do those things, you're like, but that feels so minuscule. Cause like, I'm here, yeah. like, what else do you want me to do? You know, like, right. like what else can we do? Uh, you know, and, and, and the, I'm, I'm also, you know, really thankful, you know, like our, 
our caregiver, like our, our family systems, both of us have helped us tremendously yeah. on both sides, you know, and, and, and we've had a good support system from that standpoint when it comes to those things. So I'm curious if either of you had a hard time asking for help from those extended family members when you needed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cause you're probably like, but at the same time, like I recognize that it has to, you know, it has to, there's things that have to be done. Right. And it's just yeah. outside of, Hey, like I do need help with X, Y, or Z and, and things like that. You know? Um, yeah. I would say that they're, you know, it's, it's swallowing your own pride from that standpoint. Yeah. It's just the same as, as what I said, you know, Hey, you asked asking Vanessa or sharing those things. It's swallowing your own pride. It's like, Hey, it's okay to feel these things. Right. Give yourself mm-hmm. a little bit of grace. Yeah. It, for, for me, a, a lot of it was recognizing when we, you know, when, when I, or we, we both needed help, you know, it, it would be, yeah. It would be after the fact when, you know, <laughs> that I would recognize that, oh, probably should ask to yeah. <laughs> somebody pick up the kids or to do so, ask, you know, to ask to bring a meal or whatever it was. But yeah. it was usually not recognized until it was, you know, after the fact. And I thought, ah, yeah. maybe it wouldn't have ended in a blow, you know, <laughs> blow a fight or whatever. Yeah. 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 Scott, you mentioned about looking online for resources. Did you guys find that you're that? your wives cancer centers had resources for you guys as caretakers no no uh, i mean i didn't really i mean i'm sure they, there was something around caretakers but back to dan's point i think it just based on age and stuff some of yeah. it doesn't necessarily translate in, in different you know points in life um you know so i i felt almost you know back to that isolation it's like well that's fine. You know, you're caring for somebody and you know, you've already had your life and you're retired and, and now your spouse got, and obviously some of those things still translate, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the same feelings and, and things do, but it's just, it's different around back to, you know, Dan said like he's working and trying to still build this side and do a career and all the other things that, that go into it as opposed to something that maybe is at the back end of a career and those types of things. So, yeah. yeah. I would say it's, it was pretty, pretty well lacking on our, um, on our end. Yeah. We were, we were the same boat. Uh, the radiation center where we were going really, frequently we they had a patient navigator and she was super nice and they had this wall of brochures and so the first couple times we went there you know i would spend the time when she would go back to get you know to get the uh, treatment i would go to this wall and just start leafing through all these pamphlets and it was i mean there was there was nothing with that didn't have a picture of somebody with silver hair and i was And I, you know, and I, I, we would ask, you know, each time, you know, have you found anything for, you know, young adults or, uh, we didn't even know. I mean, we didn't even recognize that caregivers might need, you know, some sort of support also. Yeah. So it was, it was always focused on, you know, do you have anything for young adult, uh, cancer patients, survivors, anything. And each week, you know, each time we were there, she would say, oh, I haven't found anything yet. I haven't found anything yet. Um, and it wasn't until our, uh, my sister-in-law actually was doing some Google searching and found um, stupid cancer for uh, not to mm. plug a, a different uh, organization, but uh, no problem. That's what that's what she found, and uh, uh, that was that was the first uh, sort of resource that we found. We eventually found others. Um, uh, Epic, uh, obviously, yeah. um, oddly enough, right around the corner from where we live. So, hmm. so that was nice, but. Uh, yeah, the, uh, it was it was pretty bleak there. That first first few times we were looking, we thought, "There's no way that we're the the only people impacted like this." Uh, there's got to be something. So yeah. So given the lack of resources, how did you guys care for yourselves, like you personally, as caregivers? Yeah. Not well. 
Poorly. Poorly. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, well, and I think that about sums it up. You know, that's honestly that's something that you know, as as we've gone further and further, like trying to to take the time for for myself and, and the time and do it in a productive way, not necessarily a destructive way. Yeah. Um, I think is a uh, yeah. That's that's something that I would say. I and I don't know if the next question is what can we do better. That was probably one. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, I don't know about you, Dan. That was kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah, that uh, pretty much sums it up. It, uh, uh, yeah, the again, it's recognizing after the fact uh, that yeah, yeah, probably should have taken some time for for myself there in that first six, eight, nine months. Um, Yep. And it is very easy not to because you're yeah. you're doing you're just surviving, like you said. I was just gonna say it's like you know, is it you know in your mind in your mind it's like is it okay right to to take time and, stuff mm-hmm. like that. and when yeah. you're in the fight like when you're in the fight of it like in the in the midst of a disease or like really trying to trying to trying to beat the cancer per se as they say like initially it's like well if I take a day to go do this for myself or a couple hours that might be a day or a couple hours that I don't get with my yeah. spouse yeah but now looking back it's like you know they probably you know vanessa i know like it's sometimes when she's alone right and has her own time to think like they they need it too right yeah. even yeah. though even though we're in this thing together as a team it's just like hey some me time and just time to like literally think and, and reflect on my own thoughts and those types of things so it is a learning process isn't it yes <laughs> definitely so if you guys think back on the whole the time of caregiving and, and even in some ways it's ongoing. What are you most proud of? What do you feel like? All right. I may have screwed up a lot or maybe I didn't do this right. Or I was kind of stumbling through it, but this, this, I actually, I'm glad I did it this way. Uh, well, what am I most proud of is I would say the fact that, that we're still here, like together yeah. in a great relationship, like, because, you know, you, you can look at the s- statistics all you want around this stuff with young adults and it's, mm-hmm. it's not, a, it doesn't paint a, paint a pretty picture from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, I think just the ability to, to communicate, um, you know, and, and have each other's backs throughout the whole thing, you know, it's, it's, and it's never end. you know it's it's, it's not going to change from that standpoint you know Vanessa's on chemotherapy indefinitely is is the way that it's termed from that standpoint so it's it's learning to adapt and, and make the most out of what we have um and and I think it's just a mindset I think that both of us have had um that's led to to some of that mm-hmm. um you know because you can have some pretty dark days but overall the mindset was hey you're gonna beat this thing and we're going to do it together and we're going to make the most out of what we have, as opposed to, man, this is, you know, you're going to pass away from this. And it, it doesn't mean we didn't have those conversations that like, if that happens and we go down that yeah. route, like whatever, but being able to have those conversations, I think is, is um, something most young adults don't really experience for sure. Right. Like right. what happens if you die tomorrow, unless it's, you know, like conversation around insurance or something like that. I mean, those, I know most people don't like that. So anyways, right. Um, right. you know, it's, it's just, people don't necessarily like to talk about dying. Right. And, and, and even though it's something we're all going to do at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so being able to have those conversations and Frank, you know, but also really having the mindset around together, we're going to get through this and, you know, we're going to make the most out of what it is as opposed to, you know, looking at it as only as a negative. Cause there's a lot of things that are negative, obviously around cancer, but Hey, what can we make the most out of it? Definitely. Yeah, I, I hate to, to sound like a uh, 
just a, a an echo, but I mean, it's very similar that, you know, the, the number of people that we've met um, in the, in the cancer world where, you know, one or both the, 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 the patient and the caregiver have both uh, have kind of uh, retreated um, into themselves or away from the, the situation, the relationship. Um, it, it, I mean, the, like you said, the, Scott said that the mm. statistics are, are grim. Um, yeah. And, you know, just the fact that I was able to, to help, uh, to be a caregiver and to, I'd like to think I helped. <laughs> um, and, and the fact that we're still here, we're still together. Yeah. Um, and, the, and that we have maybe helped a few other people in a similar situation. A longer term, you know, we we like I said, we we've hosted meetups. We uh, and most of the organization was Liz. I mm-hmm. mostly just drove back and forth <laughs> uh, and hung out with people. So um, I don't want to take too much credit, but um, some of the conversations that we've had with people and um, and and knowing that we have helped them find other resources that help them carry on and and uh, make things a little easier uh, mm-hmm. on their uh, in their, in their cancer. And I hate the, this term, but cancer journey, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, you know, those, those are, when I hear those, when I hear those things that, it, that really makes me happy, um, uh, to, to know that maybe, maybe I've made it a little easier on somebody. Uh, and I didn't just tell them, just look at the pamphlet board. There's gotta be something up there that's for you. I'll echo back and, and yeah, I'll echo yours, Dan, back back to um like I, I would one hundred percent say too, like just the ability to to help those that have come after us, right? Yes. Or or yeah. maybe even around the same time and have conversations, I think is 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 a you know, excellent along with like I said, the fact that you know Vanessa went through a bone marrow transplant and that's literally the only reason that I signed up for you know, the registry Yeah. So the yeah. Fact that, you know, that it ended up being a match. And I got to donate to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that was a pretty cool thing. Very cool. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's uh, just the ability to, to, to help somebody else that's in a similar situation. Um, you know, in that point is, is, is truly, yeah, that's, I would agree on that one. Yeah. Well, that's actually my next question is if, if you had one thing to share with someone who's just starting on this journey as a caregiver, what would you say? Hey, they, they are a caregiver and they do have, they do have things that they, they will need <laughs> as they go through this. And, and it's not, it's not something they can do alone. Yeah. Um, and that, and there are, there are many people out there in a very similar situation, uh, either they currently or, or in the past that you're probably not going to get advice that fits to your situation. Exactly. Uh, but the biggest thing is just to talk and have find somebody that will listen. And in this community, it's not it's not hard to find someone that'll listen. It might be hard to find somebody with your exact you know situation with a similar diagnosis or similar situation. But with a little bit of with a little bit of searching and you know just asking for help, finding that that person, you know, you 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 should be able to find somebody that can help help you process what's going on they might not be able to physically be there you know with you to help with meals or anything but just finding somebody that you can talk to that understands where you're at and what you're going through 
it can make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I would say communicate and community, those two things. I think, you know, because communication, uh, mm-hmm. you know, one, you know, with, with folks outside of, you know, one of your circles that can help you or have those conversations, but two communication, like with your partner or spouse, mm-hmm. whatever it is from that standpoint, um, you know, both ways. So sometimes it's just listening. Sometimes it's, it's you communicating, Hey, this is where, you know, what I need and my feelings right now around these things. Just so you guys are on the same page from that standpoint and nobody's guessing. Um, Cause I think that's the other thing is, is like, you know, if you, if you're not doing a good job from a communication now, it's just like, what, what are they thinking? What, you know, what is going yeah. through their, you know, their head and they're withdrawing those types of things. So um, communication and then the community thing too, you know, back to Dan's point, just around, finding a community that you can, you know, not only just talk about these things, but maybe do things and, 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 and it's easier to connect in those, in those situations where it's maybe something that's in a similar situation or has gone through something that they can relate to. Um, but having those to fall back on as well, um, yeah, because we're tribal people, right? And that's right. like we're, we're 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 built that way. Like that's in our DNA. So you know, bringing your spouse along sometimes, and sometimes maybe it's not. You know, sometimes it's just a caregivers, you know, retreat or caregivers opportunity um, to where you can have conversations that maybe you don't feel comfortable with with you know your spouse or significant other. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyways, that's my. Yeah, Liz likes to say, "Find your tribe." Yep. It's true. Yeah. Well, as we close, one question I always like to ask, is there anything I haven't asked you that you would want to share with someone listening? Uh, I mean, Scott, Scott covered uh, the other thing I was going to mention is that, you know, communicate, um, yeah. you know, voice all those thoughts, even the dark ones, uh, because you're, you know, the, you know, the person you're caring for um, is probably thinking the same thing. Yep. And, and I would say the same thing to the, the person going through the diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, voice those thoughts, get, you know, get, get them out of your head uh, and, and out in the open because you, you're the caregivers definitely thinking the same stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, even if you think this is too dark, I'm, they're not going to be able to handle it. Uh, it's better to have that out in the open rather than just, you know, echoing around your head. Stewing on it. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. It's okay with not being okay. Yeah. It's okay to cry. It's okay to do those things. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Let's, I guess from, from, from my perspective, you know, and, and I don't know if this is Dan, obviously coming from a male caregiver, I guess, you know, that I was like, what, you know, what's a caregiver? Uh, I was like, the, the term, yeah. like it, and to Dan's point, you know, he's like, yes, it, it, it's obviously, it is a, it, it's a thing that, you know, and, and, and we need to, to understand, like, it's okay to, to, to share those, some of those feelings and, and, and what's going on because the male thing, and this is like, it's society driven, right. Is to, is to, oh, I'm going to just handle this and not share those feelings, not share those emotions because we're protective of spouse or whatever the case may be. And, and that's not the best way to go about it, I guess is what I would say. <laughs> yeah. I've really gotten to this point, but let's like, you know, because I, I like I said, those things just build and, and they build and it, it makes it harder, um, you know, down the line too, to, 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 to ultimately open up some of those. So it's okay with not being okay and having those conversations from a community, you know, I'm sorry, a, a communication standpoint, but also in a community, in a community, it's okay with being vulnerable from those standpoints. Yeah. Um, it's not something that, any of us should ever have to go through, but it's going to happen. Right. And that, because right. that's the world that we live in, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, it's, you're, you're, <laughs> things are never going to happen to you until they do. And then when they do, it's like, how do you respond from that standpoint? So the other thing is like, you know, I touched on this is just kind of from a mindset standpoint, 
you know, it, it, it's okay with not being okay and, and, and crying. But like, if you overall, you know, try to take the mindset of like, we're going to get through this and we're going to make the most of, of what the opportunity mm-hmm. is, you know, both from a, from a patient standpoint and a caregiver, you know, if you guys do it together as a team, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of neuroscience, not getting too nerdy around it, but that, 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 plays into to, to like what what actually your body can can do from from the brain standpoint so yeah i think those are the two things you know have a, as best of mindset you know that you can throughout the process and think to yourself you know is your mindset really benefiting or is it hmm. something that is you know negatively affecting you know said outcome because of the way that you are approaching a certain thing so yeah thank you both so much it is a messy thing this cancer and uh, I really appreciate both of you being so vulnerable and and sharing, especially being guys, because again, you said it, right? There's this certain persona you're supposed to keep up and just be be okay with not being okay. Be willing yes. to, to cry, to just be out there. It's so I really, right, Dan? We've, we've gotten to yeah. the point now where like we're ready from an experience standpoint. It's good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I really appreciate both of you. Thank you so much. And Thank you very much, Gail. We'll talk to everybody later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs, or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode. Father, times and times through the night with the ghosts of